Thank you, guys. That was fantastic. So thanks. As you heard uh, Adam just a few moments ago explain uh, what's going on with uh, KidZone, just want to remind you of this, that uh, right now, uh, part of what we want to do in this Haggai project is to continue building community and, and providing different opportunities. Well, the children right now have the opportunity to write Bible verses on the floor of the sanctuary before we lay carpeting. And so, um, and so they're going to be writing these Bible verses, and, and part of the reason why we're doing that is, A, to provide them an opportunity to be involved in this project, and then B, as a, as a sort of a tangent on this thing, it means literally when we go back in there in a few weeks, we will literally be standing on the Word of God. And, uh, and so I, I was, uh, I'm pretty excited about that. So, so we'll look forward to that and, and continue, as I said earlier, continue to be praying for us with the Haggai Project. And we start this morning looking at this very small book in the Old Testament called Haggai. It is small and, and just the name itself does not really, as I was thinking about how to introduce this, I don't think people, as, as far as new parents go, I don't think Haggai is going to be found in the popular baby name books. It just doesn't really work. I mean, what do you, what's the nickname for Haggai? Just Hag? That does not work very well. Okay? So, so it has this, has this short name. It's a very short book. And, and in this short book, though, this is one of the things that I want you to understand. It, in this short book is where the Lord and I had a nice little chat about how we do this renovation in the sanctuary. It's in this book where all of a sudden God said, here are some issues that that are going on that I want to address. I addressed them back then. I want to address them here. And it's, it's, it's a phenomenal little book when you look at it. And what strikes me is this. Another thing that strikes me is this is even though this is one of the shortest books in the Bible, not many people can say that they wrote something over 2,500 years ago and it still be read today. Just let that sink in for a little bit. This little book was written a long time ago, around 520 B.C., and we are still referring to it. And I believe this, as we walk through this Haggai project, as we continue walking through that, my prayer is this, that as we go through this particular series, there'll be some things that all of a sudden we have those aha moments of saying, wow, that still applies to me right now. And so I invite you in your Bibles to go to the book of Haggai, and, and perhaps if you have it on your smartphone, it'll be a lot easier to find it that way, because Haggai is a difficult, ver- difficult uh, uh, book to find, but it's after Zephaniah, which isn't really going to help you a whole lot, but it's right before Zechariah. But, but uh, here we go. So it's towards the end of the Old Testament. We read these words from the prophet Haggai. He says this, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of Yahweh came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest. This is what Yahweh Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild Yahweh's house. Then the word of Yahweh came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be to be? living in your paneled houses while, the house re- while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what Yahweh Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. 
you have planted, you have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what Yahweh Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says Yahweh. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares Yahweh Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and in all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of Yahweh their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because Yahweh their God had sent him and the people feared Yahweh. Then Haggai, Yahweh's messenger, gave this message of Yahweh to the people. I am with you, declares Yahweh. So Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of Yahweh Almighty, their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would, would walk us through this. We ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we could see, open our ears that we can hear, open our minds that we can understand a timeless message, and open our hearts that we would take a look at each one of our lives, and, and at our lives, and consider our ways. And that, Lord, through this, we would understand the importance of being on the same page as you. Holy Spirit, may no one hear anything I say, but may they only hear what it is that you want them to hear. And Lord Jesus Christ, may you be lifted up. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, you're going to see some pictures as we go through this series. You're going to see different pictures. And, and I want to point this out real quickly. We have some very gifted students here. And one of those students is, is Edwin Camacho. And so all the pictures that you're going to see are, are, are from him. He even has an Instagram page if you're into that type of thing. And, and I've seen his stuff. It's, he's very talented. And so, uh, so you'll see some pictures. And, and, uh, and, and if you see Edwin, don't be afraid to say hi. And hey, great job. And we'll go from there. But there are some things as we get in to Haggai that I want you to know about, and I thought that they would be important, essential background information to help this book make some sense, because I, in all my years of, of following after Jesus, I don't think I've ever heard many messages out of this particular book. And so the first thing is this, and I need to clear this up about his name, because I gave his name a hard time earlier, saying it's not in any popular baby names books. But in light of what his name means, perhaps it should be. Because his name means this, my feasts. Meaning that when Haggai comes to town, it means that there is going to be a feast aplenty. Let that sink in for a little bit. These people have been oppressed for all these years. They've been in exile. And now all of a sudden they have a priest whose name happens to mean my feasts. 
What's so essential about that is that in the midst of our difficult times, in the midst of times of drought, in the midst of time uh, uh, where we're going through painful experiences, the God of feasts is still in our midst. That's a timeless message. For many of us in this room, we're going through a variety of things, and I was talking with someone earlier, different people are going through some really tough times from a physical standpoint right now. But in the midst of that difficulty, the God of feasts comes in and says, I'm still here. I'm still here. We have a God that gets involved in our lives. They've been in exile for, for close to 70 years. And, and Haggai's book, not only is it short, and it's short because for a number of reasons, but here's the other thing. Haggai's book covers an entire four months of Israel's existence. Let that sink in. There are all these other types of events that we see in the Old Testament that get a whole lot of press. Creation, the flood, being taken into, into Egypt and, and being, being enslaved there, the exodus, the rising up of different judges, the rising up of all these good kings and, and many, many bad kings. All these things last for centuries, and yet Haggai's book covers four months, and he gets press in the Bible. Think about what you were doing four months ago. That would put you back, I think, in May. Is that about right? You had graduations going on, you had this going on, you had that going on. But time happens quickly. Four months ago, many of you were at ease and and thinking everything is fantastic, and now look what's going on. A lot can happen, and what strikes me is this, is that even though it's only 38 verses, in those 38 verses, we're reminded again that our God is at work every moment of every day. I encourage you when you go home, take it, just take, take some time, think back to what was going on in your life four months ago and how different it is today. Four months ago, I didn't have a son-in-law. Now I do. And thankfully, they're still married. <laughs> thankfully, he's paying for her insurance. That's a great thing. So, but my point is, things happen in our lives so often. And so, as you see this, as we continue on, there is one or two more things that I need to make sure that we're aware of as we enter into this, which will help us understand, more importantly, what Haggai is driving at here. Even though they were in exile, even though they were oppressed, the Babylonian Empire allowed for religious freedom to happen. Why is that essential? It's essential because these people, even though they're in exile, even though they're being oppressed, were still provided freedom to worship the Lord their God, wherever they were. And that sounds fantastic, and it it is a fantastic thing. And listen to this proclamation that came from the ruler back then, and you can read about this in Ezra 1, starting at verse 2. It says this, This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. Yahweh, the God of heaven, and get this next line, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Let that sink in. Here's a pagan king saying, God has brought me to this place 
where I now am in charge of this renovation project of building for him a temple in Jerusalem. And here's the key passage. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. Back in that day, pagan, pagan religions believed that gods had particular locations. And so as the Babylonian Empire is expanding, they realize we cannot mess with different gods. We want those gods to stay there because we believe in all of them. And so we're going to, because we have freedom, because we're extending freedom to you, we want you to feel free to go back and rebuild that temple. And then verse 4. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people, get this, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. What the ruler is saying is, if you have the remnant, if you have these people that are heading back to Jerusalem, you as a neighbor, you as a fellow citizen of the Babylonian Empire, are to give to them whatever they need to rebuild their temple. Imagine that. Imagine that you're walking, you're walking home, you're going, I'm going back to Kansas City, back to where my folks live. And as I'm going back there, people are saying, hey, where are you going? I'm saying, well, I'm going to go help rebuild my parents' house. And said, here's some cash, enjoy the day. That would be unheard of. But the leader of the Babylonian Empire is saying, you need to help these people out. God uses whoever he wants, however he wants, to accomplish whatever needs to be accomplished. And we continue to see that all the time. Just this little encounter that, that Don Meister had uh, the other day with this Melody Park parent reminds us of that God is on the move. And so you would think that there would be all this excitement as we turn our attention now to Haggai chapter 1. You would think there would be all this excitement, yet there is a slight problem. There's a slight problem. God's people are divided. They're divided. One of the things that doesn't get talked about an awful lot when it comes to the Babylonian exile is this, is that, is that there were people that stayed back in Jerusalem. Why did they stay back in Jerusalem? Because the kingdom of Babylonia believed this, that we don't need the riffraff coming into our town. We're going to leave the people that are not that skilled, the people that we don't really think are all that important, we're going to leave them there, but we're going to take all the gifted, all the wonderful people that we can then use to our advantage. And so you have this group of folks that goes into exile, but you have a large amount of people that stays back. Well, Cyrus makes this proclamation that people can go back, and they are thrilled. They get to go back home. They get to go back to where they once were. They've been, and, and if we keep this in mind, 586 B.C. is when the exile began. This book is written in 520. God bless you. We're talking about a 66-year span. They haven't been back in close to 70 years. They get to go home, and they are ecstatic. Well, who do you think's not that ecstatic when they show up? The people that have been there. The people that were forgotten. The people that said, well, we took care of this, we took care of that, and now you're coming back and we're supposed to be excited about that? 
So not only were they divided there, but here's the other thing that was dividing them, and you can call it a math problem. The belief was when they went into exile, the, the Jews believed this, that this exile is going to last for approximately 70 years, and after the end of that 70 years, we will be set free. It's been 66 years, and now they're given the order, you need to rebuild my temple. The people that have been there for a while are saying, are you kidding me? Now? God's coming back in four years. Why do we need to do anything right now? Let's just wait it out. We've already waited 66 years. And it caused problems. One of the things that I know this to be true, when it comes to change, when it comes to transi transition, it's not easy for anybody. It's difficult at times. And so you have this group of people that is thrilled that they're coming back. They're coming back home. They're excited. They believe God has called them to go back home and do this rebuild project. And they're excited. They're looking forward to it. But they run head on into those who have remained. And those who have remained have said, we're not that thrilled about this. And so into the middle of this, we read these words, starting at verse 2 of Haggai. This is what Yahweh Almighty says. These people say the time is not yet come to rebuild Yahweh's house. Then the word of Yahweh came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled homes while, the house, while this house remains a ruin? As Haggai begins his prophecy to the people, he says this in essence, consider the plan. God has a plan for what he wants to do. God has a plan, and I want you to consider this. And one of the things that's really great about this encounter is this, is that we're reminded once again that the Lord enjoys question and answer time. Look at what he says here. He says, this is what Yahweh Almighty says, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild Yahweh's house. Then the word of Yahweh came through the prophet Haggai, is it a time for you yourselves? So he's asking these questions, looking for a response. And it's an interesting note here, by the way, and we can just easily fly right past it, is the way he addresses the people in verse 2. He says this, these people... It's one of the few times in the entire Old Testament where God does not refer to his own people as my people. When you come across this statement of these people, what it means is, is that they are at odds with one another. God is saying one thing, and God's saying, you're not conducting yourself as my people. And so he engages with them in this, in this Q&A time. And his response to them in verse 4, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? Back then, paneled houses were considered a luxury. To have a roof over your head was considered a luxury. And where did that paneling came from? It came from all the material that the people had collected along the way to come back and rebuild the temple. And instead of using it to rebuild the temple, they were using it to take care of themselves. Our timing, our timing always focuses on our time, which means it remains all about us. We have these conversations, well, I wish God would move on my timeline. 
I wish he would do things in a way that I want him to do them. And what ends up happening as we focus in on our time, God is saying, I know what's best for you. I know how to work. I know what I'm doing. And people said, it's not time for this to happen. God had provided everything they needed and their response was, yeah, it's not, uh, we'll get to it. We have some other things we want to get done. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. When you get to Luke chapter 9, we come into this place where Jesus sort of had an issue with people as well when it came to the time. We pick it up in verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 58, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. All these people said, we want to follow you, God. We want to be your people. We want to move forward for you. And every single time God said, okay, come on, let's do this. Let's move now. And the response was, I've got other things that I need to get done with first. As we read through Haggai, one of the things that you're going to notice is people have misplaced priorities. I have misplaced priorities. Sundays are not, Sundays during football season are difficult for me at times. If you call me this afternoon, it's like, "Ah, okay, I'll DVR it, you know, but that type of thing. They didn't have DVR back in Haggai's day, just so you know. Um, But God wants the best. And when God invites them, look at this verse in verse 5, he says, give careful thought to your ways. You've said you want to follow me. you said that you're all in. you said that you'll do this. I've brought you out of exile. I've brought, the, I've brought these people in exile back to be with you. I've brought them here so that you guys can work together to make this happen, and yet it's not happening. Why? Because your, 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 your priorities are misplaced. And so God invites us to reflect on what's going on in our lives. And the scary thing about reflecting on our lives oftentimes is this, is that it exposes us for who we really are. Any time that I go into a time of solitude, it, 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 at times it, it's very startling to me because I'm reminded of, of how much I, first off, it's great because I'm reminded of how much I need God, but the second thing is this, I'm also reminded about how much I, I really struggle with his issues that he wants to accomplish in my life. And God's timing always focuses on the best all the time. God's timing is by and far the best time all the time. So when God says, I'm coming to do work among you, is is your response one of, hey, hold off, I need to get some other things in line first? Or is your response, okay, let's do this? God invites all of us to be involved in his plan of working in, in so many different ways. And then we go down to verse 12, and I invite you to go there. 
says this, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of Yahweh their God. What's important about this is that God explains to them, as they consider their ways, God explains to them in verses 6 through 11, he says, you've worked really hard. You've put your money into pockets that have holes in them. You're wearing clothes that don't keep you warm. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. He's saying, as you look to take care of yourselves, you're always going to come up wanting. How many of us are working three, four times harder now than we ever have before. And yet, we're three, four times more miserable than we were before. How many of us are working so hard that that we're working and working and working and God continues to drift off into the distance? That's what was happening with God's people. For 66 years, they've been in exile, some of them. For 66 years, many of them have been working the land, trying to make it work, but yet, and what's interesting is, not a one of them, from what we can tell, turned back to God and said, Lord, it's our fault that we're in this situation. So as we work harder, as we try to make sure that things are going to get taken care of for us first, here's what's going to happen. Every time we look to take care of ourselves first, we, come more, we become more miserable in the process. Because taking care of ourselves, taking care of ourselves, looking to, to work a situation so that we are the only ones that benefit, it always, always leaves us wanting more. Because it's never satisfied. And so he lays that out, and then we come to that verse that I just read in verse 12, and it says this, that all of a sudden, listen to this, it says, the people obeyed the voice of Yahweh their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because Yahweh their God had sent him, and the people feared Yahweh. God's plan, as he says, consider this plan, he then says, I need you to respond to this plan. And God's plan always involves all people. Notice who he writes this to in verse 2. He says this, he's writing it to these, I'm sorry, in verse 1, he says he's writing it to the governor and he's writing it to this high priest, but notice who responds. Everybody responds. God's plan isn't just for us. God's plan is for all people. And when God speaks, there is always some type of response. And that's what happens here. God says, I want to work in your midst, people. I want to do this great thing. I want to rebuild this temple. I want to work in your midst in such a way so that people can see who I am. And I want to use you in the process. And the people hear this and they respond. Look what happens here. It says, they obeyed the voice of Yahweh their God. There's this movement from ambivalence to action. When God is on the move, we get to respond to that. And when God says, I want to work in your life, we get to respond to that. When God says, I want to come in and renew your life, we get to respond to that. We can keep him at arm's distance and say, no, I've got this taken care of all on my own. And God can then say, consider your ways. Look what's going on in your life. And some of us in this room, and all of us, frankly, when we go to consider our ways, we realize if we're not on the same page as God, our lives get increasingly more miserable. 
We try to cover it up in a variety of ways, but, but God says, I love you so much, I'm going to keep coming at you, and I want you to move from ambivalent to action. And that's what happens with the people here. And then as they respond to that plan, they then, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to move forward on this. It's another thing to then move into what I call the execution of that plan. Look what happens here in verse 13. Then Haggai, Yahweh's messenger, gave this message to Yahweh, to the people. I am with you, declares Yahweh. Even though they were in exile, even though they brought all of this on themselves, even though there's a long list of things and reasons for why they're in exile, God never stopped caring for them. God always remains active. And in the midst of our crises, in the midst of our changes, and in the midst of the transitions that all of us experience in life, there are those times when we forget that God continues to remain active. He's working all the time. Talk to the people around you that you see things happening in their lives that that are pursuing after God, and they will say, God continues to take care of me in ways that I don't fully understand. Take some time and talk with King Cousins about what's going on at Victory Mission as they go through this tumultuous time right now. Ken will tell you this, that God is at work in an amazing way. That lives continue to be changed. God remains active. And then perhaps the most powerful four words any of us can hear as the plan is executed to move forward with God's plan are these four words. I am with you. I am with you. There are going to be times as, as we, as in, in all of our lives, whether it's the renovation of the sanctuary or whatever the case may be, as we are, as our own lives get renovated, there are going to be times when we run into barriers, we run into hurdles, when we run into, into difficulties, and in the midst of those difficulties, in the midst of the transitions, in the midst of this is really difficult, God says, I am with you. He won't let you down. This church's history shows that time and time and time again, that God is with us. Verse 14, So Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the next phrase, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. What started out as a little conversation that that the governor and the high priest were having with Haggai has now been a response of all people saying, I'm in. Of all people saying, I'm going to get involved. I'm in to this renovation that you want to do in all of our lives. This renovation that begins with me. They came and began to work on the house of Yahweh Almighty, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month, everybody got involved in taking care of the, of the temple. We need everyone to be involved in the renovation of our own lives. The renovation is not a solo project. 
The renovation involves us working together to look out for one another, to care for one another, to say, hey, how can I help you as, as you continue pursuing after the Lord? This Haggai project isn't about doing a renovation in the sanctuary. If that's what it is, we should have never started in the first place. The Haggai project has, symbol, has symbolism in that it's a part of a renovation that we believe that God wants to continue to do in our lives that he started 144 years ago in this church. It's more than just paint and pews and carpeting and things like that. It's about Jesus Christ coming alongside of us and continuing to do the renovation work in each one of our lives. And so the people gathered around. They began to do the work on, this, on, this, on the house. And it was a precursor to the greatest renovation project ever. It was a renovation project that put Jesus Christ on a cross. Jesus Christ brought salvation not in four months, but in a matter of three days, if you can give me that. And you may very well be here right now saying, Lord, I know my life needs to be renovated. But right now, I've got other things I want to take care of first. Jesus Christ says, now's the time. Let me do that work Let me renovate your life. And in the process of renovating your life, you're going to notice something that all of a sudden things are going to start happening because I am with you. I invite all of us to consider our ways. I invite all of us to consider our ways and then do this, to consider what Jesus Christ accomplished by accomplishing the greatest renovation project humanity has ever seen. And that is our salvation. He's the one that rescued us. He's the one that continues renovating us for His glory, for His kingdom to advance. The Babylonian Empire came to an end. Jesus Christ's kingdom, His empire, has no end. It continues on forever. And I invite all of us to be involved in His renovation project that He wants to do in each and every one of our lives. Father, we pray now as we consider these words, as we reflect on them, it's my prayer that you would continue the great work that you began a long time ago in this church. Not just from a physical building standpoint, but that you would continue to do the great work in each and every one of our lives. And that we would say, Lord, You do the work. It's Your plan that we want to execute as You seek to renovate us. And Lord, I confess to You, there are far too many times in my life when You say You want to do some more renovating. And I immediately respond to You and say, not yet. I'm sorry. And Lord, I don't think I'm the only one in this room that that has done that. So I pray that you'd have mercy on us for those times when you want to renovate us and we say, not yet. Lord, we pray as we hear the lights humming in the background, we pray that in the midst of this time that we would respond to you and execute the plan of renovation in our own lives which means saying yes to Jesus Christ.
and the work that you want to do in each and every one of our lives. And Lord, may we be reminded that this Haggai project is, is far more than the new paint and pews and things like that. But it's about pointing people to you. And we thank you for all the work that's gone into this church over the course of the 144 plus years. And we pray that we would get to partner with one another and with those that have come before to bring glory to you, the greatest renovator of all time. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're gonna, I'm going to invite you to stand now as we sing a couple more songs and, and uh, enjoy worship.